Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Stars Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. And this is Jay. This is your new Comics Wednesday episode for June 28th, 2021. Huge week, man. Huge week. Uh, in fact, such a big week that our usual weekly DC spotlight that uh, Rocky from Comic Boom and I do had to be divided up into two parts because there were 18 DC books. Uh, we don't have quite that many to talk about here. Let's see. We got two, four, six, eight, 10, 12. We only have 14. Uh, there's plenty of other books we could have talked about. Obviously, there are any number of great titles that are coming out every week, but uh, I'm going to start off with a couple of books that I'm just going to mention really briefly uh, that I got a chance to read and don't really know where they're going yet. So it's kind of hard to uh, to review them. I'll start first with Amazing Fantasy, which is by Kari Andrews. And when I say it's by Kari Andrews, it does like everything but the letters. The letters are by Joe Sabino, but the writing, the art, the colors, all of it is Kari Andrews. And from what I've been told, and it's, you know, when I say it's Amazing Fantasy, you know, people hear Amazing Fantasy, they think Spider-Man, though this is fantasy. Um, and it even has the main cover of looks very much like a fantasy magazine, you know, um, it says Kari Andrews science fiction. They came to a world with no heroes and no escape featuring Captain America, Spider-Man, Black Widow and more. Yeah. And so it's basically it's across time like these characters are across time and they all go through something. There's some action, a fight, uh, you know, some sort of either super villain fight or. Uh, some kind of explosion in the course of their adventuring. And when they wake up, they're in this fantasy world where there's like dragons and uh, griffins, you know, which is kind of a cross between an eagle and a lion. There's all kinds of goblins and people with swords. And it's just, it's out there. It is out there, man. And clearly they're all going to find their way together and, and figure out what's going on. So, you know, if you're a, a fan of a fantasy and a fan of Marvel comics, Marvel superhero characters, you might enjoy this. I mean, it's, a, it's a really fun matchup, a mashup. And there's some surprise guest appearances here as well. Um, so I may be in for one more issue. I mean, I thought it was okay. Um, I thought the colors was, was where the art really shone the best. Kari Andrews really shows the ability to, to switch up and use different styles of art. Um, and he also switches up the color for the look of the pages, which I, I mean, very, very talented, but the actual line work itself for me, the line work is a little heavy. Uh, the line weights are, are very thick. Um, so in that way, it doesn't feel very fluid. So I might check out the next issue. I thought it was okay, but it didn't, it didn't blow me away. Uh, all right. Next book that I want to mention. And again, it's, um, it's one I don't have. A whole lot to say about it. I haven't talked uh, about it previously on on the podcast, but I've been reading it. Uh, it's called Phantom on the Scan. It's by Aftershock Comics, which is, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Aftershock. We all know that. Um, they're one of my favorite publishers. And this is, it's billed as sort of a horror story, and it has those uh, those overtones, mostly in the art which is done by Mark Torres uh, in kind of a, a painted watercolor style. Um, it's written by Cullen Bunn, who is known for, for writing horror. Uh, Dave Sharp handles the letters. 
So it's basically the story of these people who have psychic powers, uh, thus the, the term phantom on the scan, right? Like if you get a CAT scan and the doctor thinks he sees something, but he's not sure, is it a shadow? And this idea of phantom on the scan. Um, and at various times, you know, the horror aspect comes in and, and kind of body horror, which is, you know, I, I used to not be a fan of horror comics much at all. I'm not really a fan of, of horror as a genre, movies or, or comics or whatever. Although I did read a heck of a lot of Stephen King when I was a teenager, so go figure. Um, but anyway, I've I've come to enjoy it as a genre over the years uh, in comics, if not you know cinematically. Um, but the whole idea of or the whole kind of tendency to go toward body horror is that never really interests me. It doesn't creep me out. It it, it doesn't you know, freak me out. They, things can be kind of grotesque and disturbing sometimes, but you know, it's, it's whatever. That's not where my dislike of it comes from. My dislike of it comes from, it just, just kind of looks stupid to me. You know, it's, it's just, it's not, I guess I'm just too logical and kind of, you know, personality a type where when things aren't in the right place, even when it's, you know, the human body, it just bugs me. Um, I just think it looks kind of dumb which I guess is the point, right? It's disturbing in that way, but it's not, it's not something that I, I really enjoy. So even the, the body horror stuff and like a mortal Hulk or whatever, it's the least, it's my least favorite part of, of what goes on in that story. Um, but really here, when we talk about horror in, uh, in Phantom on the Scan, that that's really the, the kind of horror we're talking about. There are some cr creepy looking monsters with big bug eyes and sharp teeth and whatnot. And, um, but more than that, I think, like I said, it comes through mostly in the art, but the story itself is, is it's almost like a suspense thriller more than, than a horror story. Um, yeah, there are some monsters and there's some dead kids that talk and, and whatnot to these various psychics. They all have their psychic abilities manifest in different ways, but in the first issue, they all, right at the end, they all come together. They sort of find each other. Um, because they've all been living with these psychic abilities and they've, they've sort of ruined their lives, to be honest. Um, and then as the series goes on, they realize that they were all part of some type of experiment and they're looking for answers and they're sort of, you know, they bond together and band together to try to find those answers and go searching for the, the scientists and the doctors who had, uh, that were running the experience and had everything to do with how they got these powers but they're pursued by somebody else that was a member of uh, kind of the same experimental group who is maybe a little further along or a little more powerful, certainly more insane. You know, he's like a serial killer psychopath and he's out to get him. So, you know, it's very much these people on the run and trying to stay one step ahead uh, and figure out the answer. So there's a little bit of a mystery uh, tack to it with that part. And then a lot of suspense and, and, you know, drama and tension, I th and so it's a good story, um, but I feel like selling it just as a, a horror book, it would be underselling it because, again, that, that just comes through in the art by by Mark Torres, which is uh, very moody and very creepy, but not my favorite style of art. You know, I, it's not clean like I prefer, but it, it's a painted style, so uh, it does have me wondering what this would look like with a different sort of uh, style. It might not even work. So anyway... It, this is issue four that's out today. Um, I do think it's worth reading if you want to wait for the trade or you probably can go back and pick up the issues. I don't think any of them have, have sold out. So uh, just another example of, uh, of Aftershock putting out a pretty solid title that probably not enough people are reading, um, to be honest with you. So 
Uh, all right. Next book I'm going to talk about, uh, again, very briefly, Amazing Spider-Man Sinister War Part 1. It's been a long time coming. I've talked at length about Nick Spencer's run on Amazing Spider-Man and how was he going to wrap everything up. Well, they're giving us these giant size one-shots. They're giving us the uh, the Sinister War miniseries. Um, and now we have the actual Sinister War event happening in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man. But what disappointed me about this issue is like none, with the exception of Mysterio, none of the Sinister Sticks show up. There's certainly no war going on. I was, I, I didn't understand. Like, again, I, I think that Marvel is is trying to let Nick Spencer finish off as many of the threads for his stories as he can. And if that's the case, hey, great. I have no problem with that. Let him tell the story. And it feels, this feels like a wasted issue. Like almost nothing happens. It's all set up. So I end up thinking, well, if he's, if you're worried about him finishing off all his stories, and all his uh, threads and plot lines and whatever has been going on, like let him do what he needs to do. Why would you waste an issue on a bunch of set? Like nothing happens here. Nothing. There's no action. We get some flashback from Mysterio thinking about his time back in the Sinister Six um, and Spider-Man thinking back to fighting uh, the Sinister Six with Kindred kind of flashing back. That That's the only action we get. Uh, it, it, it's all in flashback. And then Mysterio's thinking about the, the deal he made way back when um, there's references to the Spider-Men miniseries. There's references to friendly neighborhood Spider-Man number 11 through 13. There's um, references to when Mysterio died for the first time in Daredevil volume two, number seven. So it, again, it's a lot of like, okay, I'm going to put this piece here and this piece here and this piece here and this piece here. And as far as actual new events, there's almost nothing. Um, I mean, I can't tell you what little bit there is because obviously I don't want to spoil, but I don't know, man. Um, I'm, I guess I'm just ready for Spencer to move on because it's it's not going to be clean. And at, at this point, I almost don't care if he wraps up the storylines, if it's going to be this, this messy. So... Anyway, Sinister War 2 comes up next and then Amazing Spider-Man number 72 and supposedly they'll sort of tie together. Um, doesn't even necessarily make sense. How can Spider-Man be doing what he's doing in the Sinister War miniseries when he's in completely different locations in the Amazing Spider-Man series? I don't know. Feels like a big mess. Um, I hope when this, this three-headed team, this three-headed writing team comes on Amazing Spider-Man after issue 74 that the book gets better. Um because it's been wildly inconsistent with Spencer uh, at the controls and things have just dragged on too long. You know, I've talked about it way too much at this point. Um, I mean, Spider-Man should be Marvel's best book in my opinion, and it's nowhere near that these days. So again, just super, super frustrating. Uh, <laughs> anyway, let's move on to another book. That's really good. Uh, Jay's first book. It's Daredevil. We're up to issue number 32 from writer Chip Sadarsky, Mike Hawthorne. And I think this is Hawthorne's final issue of Daredevil. I think he's moving on from Marvel uh, and he gives us a good one. Art is fantastic. Uh, so he handles the pencils. Adriano D. Benedetto is uh, the inker. Marcio Menez is the colorist. Like he's been uh, the whole time. The color artist, absolutely fantastic colors. Uh, and Clayton Cowell handles the letters. So uh, give us your thoughts on this one, Jay. It was a lot of a lot going on in the story. Um, we have uh, 
Electra uh, trying to protect the city because we have a killing spree going on. And um, there's no mystery. We know it's, it's Bullseye. In the last issue, we saw that uh, he woke up and uh, took off. Uh, this one's kind of interesting. Is you got the, I guess there's uh, more going on with the uh, interest, I guess, between uh, Kingpin and uh, Mary. So I don't see how, I guess we'll see what goes on with that uh, love interest there. <laughs> Creepy. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, eh, I don't know, but okay, we'll see. Super villains getting it on is always creepy. <laughs> and then uh, we see uh, Matt having some issues uh, you know, in the prison with uh, who's running the prison. So like I said, it's, it's action-packed. And then we get a cameo from an old, uh, I guess, a super villain, I guess, or gangster. I guess he's more of a gangster, I guess, when he first appeared. So that was, that was good. Um, it kind of goes back and forth a little bit, but it ties all pretty well together the writing style makes it work and it makes it uh all mesh well which i really enjoyed the ending i thought was the best because i didn't expect that and i was like okay so what's going on and uh even have a little cameo from uh our our, our uh macy spider-man which i guess he's not fighting the sensor six and somehow he shows up <laughs> but yeah the ending was uh wow i mean like a double walk because there's two things that happen you're like okay what, what, what's going on now but uh i'm enjoying the uh the series totally yeah, that ending, oh man. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about Daredevil and how emotional it's been, and um, Chip Zdarsky's really been putting Matt through the the ringer and and so much emotion. And then ever since Matt has been in prison, he's dialed back on the emotion. Uh, and well, maybe I shouldn't put it that way, because he set up so much emotionally early on in the series. Now he doesn't necessarily have to take the time to give us uh, emotional beats because we're, we're already so invested and, and so aware of who Matt is and where Matt is at in his head that now when he needs to do all out action issues, like he has these past two, you don't miss the emotion because it, it was already set up ahead of time. So I, I agree with you. The ending was like, what? Like I, I turned the page and that's exactly what I said. What? It totally <laughs> took me by surprise. I was I was really shocked. That was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, Matt seems to have reached his limit with being in prison, and it feels like he's starting to act like Daredevil again and not, you know, just hanging around feeling sorry for himself. Right. So I thought, so I thought that was fantastic. The art, like I said, absolutely amazing. Just action-packed, so, so well-paced. Like, it was over before I knew it, and I was like, oh, man. I want the next issue already. Uh, and the main <laughs> cover, the main cover I thought was fantastic too. It's Electra in Times Square. So yeah, absolutely amazing, amazing uh, issue. Uh, all right, let me move on to my next book. Uh, okay, where am I at here? Oh, so <laughs> the Eisner Award winner for best new series from 2020, if you're not aware, it's Black Widow. Uh, a series that I absolutely love and I've talked about, I think just about every issue that's come out. I've said that Kelly Thompson, the writer has given us the best version, the most authentic voice from of black widow I've ever, ever read. Um, just absolutely amazing. And there's a couple of titles that are going on like that right now. Catwoman, I feel like is the same. Um, Kelly Thompson is doing the, do, she's such a great writer. Part of the reason she's my writer of the year for 2020. She's doing it with captain Marvel carol danvers um best best danvers series i've ever read and she's doing it with black widow that's how great kelly thompson is she, she's at the height of her uh game right now the peak of her powers um so in this issue we get 
Elena Casagrande and Rafael de la Torre as, as uh, the pencilers. Elisabetta D'Amico and Rafael de la Torre on inks. Jordi Belair handles the colors and Corey Petit on letters. So first of all, congratulations to the, the creative team for winning uh, the Eisner. That's absolutely fantastic and so well-deserved. Uh, what's been going on here is after Black Widow had to give up her family, um, their you know, her, when she was hypnotized or, or brainwashed or whatever you want to call it early on in the series. And she was married and th- had a son and thought she was somebody else, not black widow. And then the only way she could keep them safe was to fake their death and everybody except for her. And I think one other person, I think, um, um, winter soldier, they're the only ones that are aware that her, her former husband and her son are, are still alive. Black widow herself doesn't even know where they are so they can be safe from black widow's enemies. So that that loss has kind of fueled her to, to rededicate herself to helping out the little guy, um, as opposed to being an Avenger and you know fighting world-ending threats. And so lately, she's been uh, teamed up with Yelena Belova, and I'm sure that was an editorial dictate because of the Black Widow movie, which that's another thing. I haven't seen the movie. I've heard mixed things on it. I've heard some people like it, some people don't, whatever. So great that Black Widow wins best new series when the movie's out, you know, hopefully that'll get people to, to pick up the black widow comic. Um, but anyway, um, Natasha has teamed up with Elena, uh, Belova and they're going up against this mysterious new villain in San Francisco called Apogee. Who's been giving people the serum that gives them powers, but the more they use the powers, the, the quicker they sort of burn themselves up and, and basically die either melt into goo or have a heart attack or, or whatever. And so, uh, Natasha and Yelena actually um, rescued this little girl uh, named Lucy from Apogee and his his cult, which is called Olio, um, and she's been sort of helping them. And they went to confront Apogee last issue, and he was able to escape, and Yelena got hurt really badly, and that's where this issue picks up. And um, again, I mean, this is just a, a – a very good example. If you haven't been reading Black Widow, you can pick up this issue and see exactly why it won the Eisner, 100%. Like this is a, a prototypical issue of what uh, Elena Casagrande and uh, Kelly Thompson have been doing. Really smart dialogue, great banter between uh, Natasha and uh, and Yelena or uh, Yelena uh, Belova. I mean, and uh, the art by. Elena Casagrande. I've talked a lot about how, how far she's come since the first time I saw her art. It's just fantastic. And the color work by Jordi Belair, everything is kind of this muted palette a little bit, which helps keep it feel like it's street level, but there's a lot of red and there's a lot of black as there should be. It's black widow. Those are her colors. So it's uh it's really fantastic. And the character work, like I said, best voice, uh, not just of Natasha, but her supporting cast Kelly Thompson really understands these characters and more than understanding them. She understands the way they play off each other, the dynamics of the teamwork here, because even though it's called the book is called black widow pretty much since issue one, there have been other heroes that, you know, whether it's Hawkeye and winter soldier or um, uh, the white widow here in this case, you know, Elena showing up, um, it, it hasn't really been Natasha out on her own, which I, I enjoy that, right? Because so many of the Black Widow books in the past have been her as this, you know, lone crusader. 
And I like the dynamic that she has when she has people to play off of. So it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, and, you know, if everything that I said wasn't good enough, um, the regular covers are done by Adam Hughes. <laughs> They're fantastic. Uh, I think that's why some of the issues actually have, have gone up in value. I wish I could say they were going up in value because the story is fantastic because it's it's uh, it's worth that. You know, it has earned that in my mind, but now it's, it's, people are speculating on the Adam Hughes covers. So at least they're buying it. I hope they're reading it. I mean, if you're going to spend the money to buy it, at least, at least read it because yes, I agree. The Adam Hughes covers are fantastic, but so is what you're getting on the inside. Uh, all right. Up to Jay's next book. It is scumbag number nine from writer Rick Remender. Art in this issue is by Jonathan Wayshack. Colors are by Moreno Denicio, and letters are by Russell Wooten. This was one wild ride, Jay. What did you think? <laughs> well, I guess the uh, scumbag, uh, it, I guess he got his wish. I guess if, we, if you read the last issue, you know that uh, he messed up the uh, machine that they were trying to change the world with, uh, the Ray. Um, who was it? It was uh, the Moonflower people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So now it's his world, more or less. So it's pretty much, uh, as they said in the in the book, it's uh, back in the 70s. So yeah. everybody's, uh, it's free love, uh, orgies, and drugs. So it's definitely not a kid book. <laughs> um, but I should tell you right off the bat, it's not a kid book. It was it was interesting because, like I said, uh, it seems like even um, Mary, Agent Mary and Moonflower, the whole did a team up against Scumbag this time around. They're trying to get him to, you know, uh, fix what he messed up. Uh, it was it's a it was a, it was interesting. Like I said, he uh, does a little uh, I guess time travel. I guess you would say in this book. So you get a little bit of that. Um, him being an alternate of himself as weird. Um, then he gets his own team, which the names are just out there of, of <laughs> to fight. I guess uh, the Moonflower people and Mary. It was interesting, right? Like I said, it was really a, a trip. Um, I, I, uh, I, and for a while, I thought I was going to be done with the book, but this one kind of got me back to it. So I'm like, okay, what's going to happen next? Because I'm kind of curious now what's going to happen the next couple of issues. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I think the first couple issues of the, the moon flower, it just didn't feel right. He didn't, it didn't. Um, Him and space didn't seem right. Yeah, it felt really yeah. off. Yeah, exactly. It didn't work. But I mean, apparently the whole reason that, Remender had him in space was because he had this idea of this. What do they call it? The Ernie Ray Ray. Yeah. <laughs> name's Ernie Ray, and it was a ray that affected Earth and turned back time. Where it's all, yeah, it's his paradise. Earth has been turned into what he considers paradise: seventies orgies and free love and whatever. Um, yeah. So the Ernie Ray Ray obviously needed to come from the moon, so he had to be out there in space. So I'll forgive Remender a little bit. Um, but yeah, abs absolutely, f just phenomenal. Last issue and this issue, it's it's started picking back up again, and it's, yeah, it's 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 been a blast. Uh, one one thing I did want to add, so there was some stuff on social media last week about um, Louis Larosa, who was supposed to be the 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 co owner of this book and the uh, co creator. You know, supposed to be the artist on it, and unfortunately, due to some health issues, he had to move off of the book, but there was some talk going back and forth on whether Remender forced him off or, or, you know, whether he was properly compensated or whatnot. He, Louis Rosa was a hundred percent compensated. He doesn't have anything bad to say about Remender. It was a bad set of circumstances. He, he wants people supporting Remender's book. He wants this to succeed. 
um, just unfortunate set of circumstances. And the reason I mention it is because although I have no, absolutely no problem with the art in this book, man, can you just imagine if the entire time it was Louis LaRosa and Rick Remender doing the scumbag? Oh, it'd be so great. But anyway, I agree. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun book, but yeah, like, uh, like Jay said, it, it is not for kids. Oh, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. If, if, you didn't, if you didn't clue into that by us, you know, talking about, drugs and orgies uh let us remind you it is not for uh for kids uh all right next book i'm going to mention this is another one i don't really have that much to say about um also uh, was up for some eisners this year it's department of truth we're up to issue 11. this is the second part of the bigfoot story that james tynan has been telling art by the regular series artist uh, martin simmons letters by aditya bitikar um it's kind of interesting the the first part and, and same thing with the second part of the Bigfoot story. Uh, there's this guy who so believes in Bigfoot, like almost to the point where you think that he could manifest a Bigfoot by himself, right? Like the whole idea of department of truth is the, the, the department of truth. What they're out to do is to kind of quash rumors because in the world of the department of truth, in the world of the comic, um, if enough people believe in a conspiracy theory, it actually manifests itself in reality. This one guy and you get letters that he's written like a journal or letters to his wife, whatnot about his lifelong hunt for Bigfoot. Like this guy's dedicated his, his life to finding Bigfoot. He hundred percent believes that Bigfoot's real. And that's why I say this guy believes it so strongly. You wonder if he could manifest Bigfoot all by himself. So um, in the last issue, um, Hawk, who's sort of the fixer of the department of truth is, is, talking to their new recruit and, and sort of explaining, you know, what they do and, and they go out and meet another fixer. Um, and they're going to go out and take out a Bigfoot because currently the Bigfoot has, has manifested. And so they need to go out there and take care of it. But this other old guy's out there uh, hunting it too, like he's been doing his whole life. So it has a little bit of a different feel and it's really interesting because I feel like James Tynan, uh, you know, not, not a lot of people would ever say, well, he writes like Tom King. I mean, th their style is, is very different, but where I'm going to draw some comparisons is that Tom often likes to experiment in the structure, the way he structures a story, the way he tells a story, the way that the information and the narrative is conveyed through whatever, you know, mechanism he's using to tell the story. I feel like that's what Tynan, Tynan's department of truth book that's like his book where he gets to go, I'm going to experiment with how I tell the story. We've had so many different, um, you know, we've had nonlinear, uh, we've had just a bunch of different ways of, of telling the story. And like I said, this Bigfoot story, a lot of the, the not necessarily the, the present narrative that you get of these people out there hunting Bigfoot and Hawk um, sort of explaining things. But the narrative of the old guy who's been hunting Bigfoot his whole life, like that that part of the story that is so enriched by what's basically prose, these letters, you know, it's it's a lot. So you get a, a lot of, in terms of how long it takes you to read it, you get a lot of value for your, your comic dollar. And it ends up being a really poignant story because Hawk does something at the end that you wouldn't necessarily expect him to do, um, which really sort of takes you by surprise. Um, it doesn't necessarily pull you out of the story, but it, it, it's just a little surprising, um, the choice that he makes. So 
I think this is a really great book. I think it was very much deserving of the the Eisner uh, nomination it got. Uh, it also got nominated for uh, best new series. I'm I'm glad that Black Widow won because um, again, this is sort of a, a horror book and it's sort of out there. Um, I think Martin Simmons' art suits it very well. But just like Phantom, I was talking about with Phantom of the Scan. You know, this isn't my favorite type of artwork. It's very impressionistic. It's it's painted. Um, so it's 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 different, um, but I think it does work well, and and it's a fascinating idea, and it gives Tynan a chance to explore things like Bigfoot or UFOs or the crazy cult that lives under the Denver airport or that the Earth is flat. You know, all these comp- conspiracy theories. Um, I'm sure at some point he's hinted at it obviously with the, the, the guy that heads the department of truth is Lee Harvey Oswald. He's hint, So he's hinted at uh, probably exploring the biggest conspiracy of all. And that's the assassination of JFK. And I'm sure he'll get there at one point. Um, but yeah, I, this was a poignant issue. The reason I wanted to, to talk about it and bring it up is just because of the, the swerve we get at the end with what Hawk does it. It's so fascinating to me. Um, and so interesting. And, uh, very very emotional as well with uh the words of this old guy um so yeah i thought it was i thought it was definitely worth mentioning um all right next book i'm gonna mention is uh made in korea number three uh it's by writer jeremy holt the art is by george shawl lettering by adam woolett I started to hear people talking about this and I'm glad because I've been hooked on it from the first issue and it is so damn good. It's about a future world where um, the human race has basically become infertile. Uh, There's very few uh, births happening. And so a lot of people can't have kids. And so what they do is they buy these robots that, that could pass for human. Like everybody knows they're actually, robots or simulations or whatever they call them. Um, but they really do look uh, super real. And what's happened in this issue or in this series is that this uh, scientist in Korea experimented and did some kind of um, more advanced programming or more advanced artificial intelligence with one of these uh, machines. And then he put it out to field test it and, and sent it out like a, as if it were a regular one, and instead of being just kind of a, you know, an automaton that doesn't really have much intelligence. It's, it's very intelligent. It's a very intelligent little girl. And the, the, the parents that adopted this little Android, I guess I'll call it uh, are overjoyed with, you know, how smart she is and how responsive and all that sort of thing. And the guy realizes his mistake, like, he, and and is he's trying to retrieve it. Meanwhile, the little girl through, you know, she's very smart in some ways, but in other ways, she's very naive. Like you would expect from a, a being that's not old and doesn't have human emotions. So she's bullied at school. And we saw last issue that some, some others, you know, and they're aware, everybody's aware that she's not an actual person, right? So this group of boys, they sort of recruit her because they know they'll be able to sort of fool her into helping them do whatever their nefarious stuff is. And so we don't know what that is yet, but we see in this issue them start to train her 
while the Korean scientist is still trying to convince the parents that there's something wrong, she's defective, he needs to come back and return her. Um, and then at the end, it, the action and suspense really ramps up with what the guys have planned and why they've recruited this, uh, this little girl and what's going to happen. I, who knows, but uh, it's interesting. Her name's Jesse. Um, the, the little robot or little Android. And you, you kind of wonder at the end, you sort of wonder if that has a, another sort of meaning as well. Um, but it, things don't look good right now is what I'll say. It looks like bad things are about to happen. So I'm not even quite sure what genre I would put this in at this point. Um, but it, it's such a good read. Like at first I thought it was just going to be slice of life and deal with, you know, this family forming this emotional attachment to this, uh, this Android and, and, you know, maybe something with the scientists coming to try to take her away because she's more advanced and, uh, and there would be some kind of, you know, an internal struggle or drama in that way. But no, Jeremy Holt has, has totally taken a big swerve here and it's turning into maybe this action book uh, with this little Android at the center. So I think it's fantastic. Uh, the art style is, is interesting. It, it feels very indie from George Shaw, um, especially because there's no panel borders. Uh, and I always think that gives a book very much an, an indie feel. And I'm sure it's a, um, a purposeful choice on his part, uh, but he's a very good storyteller. There's good emotion in the art. The color palette is, is somewhat muted, which helps give it that uh, indie feel as well. So I think it's been flying under the radar a little bit, but it's starting to pick up steam. Uh, so I wanted to be sure and mention it. Really, really good book. Uh, all right. Jay's next book is Vinyl. This is issue number two. It's from writer Doug Wagner. We have Daniel uh, Hilliard on art. Dave Stewart does the colors. Ed Dukeshire on letters. Uh, and yeah, I, I still haven't read issue one, so I didn't get a chance to, to read this. It's, it's on my list, uh, but <laughs> I've heard people talking about that. It's pretty brutal. So what'd you think? Uh, brutal. Yes, it is it's bloody and gory. So it's definitely not for kids. Uh, I was going to tell you that made in Korea is actually pretty good too. I thought it was gonna be like an Astro Boy thing, but it's kind of not going that route. Like I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But in uh, this one, we got the, uh, the main character. His name is Walter. He's a serial killer. Um, from the first issue, he was talking to his friend because he's been hunted down by a retired FBI agent named Dennis. But he's not his friend. He actually hates this guy with a passion <laughs> and he just needs to use him. But uh, he gets kidnapped by a group of people, the sunflower cult farmers, I guess you would call them. So Walter being Walter, you know, he has to, this reason is called vinyl because he listens to vinyl records as he's performing his uh, murderers, I guess you would say. But this one, I think we're it's getting uh, the the pace is picking up because now he's um, getting a, his own little group together to go help save you know his friend, and he kidnaps another agent in the process to help him do this. But it's pretty much his his uh, his friends, you know, Walter's you know other friends are a bunch of serial killers, and the only reason they want to help him is because you know he offers some different things and they can do whatever they want. So that for them, it's like, yeah, we'll do this. So it's going to be a bloodbath. It's, it's been a bloodbath. Uh, so we have, you know, Walter leading serial killers against uh, the Sunflower cult, who seems to be another group of serial killers. 
it's just been a fun, bloody, gory ride. And uh, I'm glad I, I'm in it because, like I said, when I read the um, plastic, I like that series because it was just different, um, twisted. And this is the same route. And, I, and, I, and I'm absolutely loving it. Yeah, I remember flipping through the first issue and going, what the hell is this? And I definitely wanted it to get to read it. I just haven't. And then that same thing. I, I'm like, oh, man, vinyl second issues out. I still haven't had a chance to read the first issue. But if I flip through it, it just looks so insane. And the other thing about it is the Dave Stewart, incredible colorist, right? This is the same guy that colored Gideon Falls, right? And that was super creepy. And in this one, it's almost a primary uh, color palette, you know? Um these aren't really complex colors with, you know, a bunch of shading. It's really kind of primary. And the art by Daniel Hilliard is, is sort of simplistic as well. So in that way, it's a little bit like stray dogs. I'm not, not to that level, right. That was like about a, a serial killer, but with Disney art, this, this isn't so cartoony that it's Disney art. Um, but it is, you know, a, it's a little bit toward that animated style. And with the bright colors, it's like really crazy to, to see um it's it's just not the kind of art you would expect to see you know blood and guts and eyeballs popping out and yeah so i, I do I, <laughs> I like the style of it i definitely you do. figure it would be a little darker being like yeah, a, yeah. A, a murder horror thing but it's not it's bright it kind of yeah. fools you thinking what's going on yeah exactly uh all right well, next book i'm going to talk about is fantastic four number 34 this is from writer dan slot we have rb silva on art jesus arbatov on colors joe caramania on letters so we saw last issue it was supposed to be doom's wedding uh this is I, I should say that this is the final chapter of the bride of doom so anyway it's supposed to be doom's wedding and he invited a bunch of dignitaries including the fantastic four and everybody that came and saw him get married and stayed on the soil of Latveria and didn't cause a problem, Doom was going to pardon them and forgive them for all their sins. So that's why the, you know, I say sins, you know, sins in, in Doom's mind. And so that's why the Fantastic Four went. Um, but right at the moment that Doom was about to marry his herald uh, uh, Zora or uh, Victorious, as uh, her our alter ego is known, uh, she confessed that she had slept with Johnny Storm a couple days before. Now, wh why she did that? Like, why wait till the last minute when it's in front of the world? Doom's going to be humiliated. Like, it's not quite clear. Sometimes it makes you think that Zora maybe doesn't like Doom and is just giving lip service to liking Doom. She actually does want to hurt him. Maybe she does really love Johnny. Maybe Doom put her up to it because in the end, Doom gets to say, okay, none of you, you know, I'm blaming Johnny Storm. I'm going to check Johnny Storm. Everybody goes to defend Johnny. Now they're, they've let down their end of the deal and it allows Doom to have an excuse to attack everybody and wipe them out. It's Doom, so you just don't know where it's going. Um, so it's kind of interesting what Dan Slott has been doing in his uh, Fantastic Four run. I've talked a lot about how in adventuresome he's made it feel because I've always felt that Fantastic Four is an adventure book you know, like a challenges of the unknown or Indiana Jones more than it is some kind of a superhero book. But obviously there's always the family dynamic, which he has played up to great effect. Um, but every once in a while he swerves completely back into the superhero element. And that's what this doom, this bride of doom story has, has been about big giant fights, doom with all kinds of weapons and 
what he does to get his revenge on Johnny Storm here is really cool, actually. Um, and it's going to have long-lasting effects, and we'll see uh, if Reed can uh, can manage to solve it. The, the, the problem that Doom has created for uh, Johnny Storm and the Fantastic Four. So I really enjoyed this issue. It felt it it felt very Doctor Doom like what uh, everything he did, and the art's fantastic. There's even a scene here that uh, from R.B. Silva that felt very Michael Turner-ish, which is you know pretty much the highest compliment I can give. It was, it was absolutely fantastic. So I really enjoyed the story. I think there'll be some fallout from it. There's there'll be some consequences long term. Um, this event. It, it's like a, it feels very classically uh, Fantastic Four, and what I mean by that is, this event, this wedding, can be something that future writers of the Fantastic Four can go back and and add things in and pull things. Hey, Doom, Doom did it for this reason. Doom did it for that reason. Zora did it for this reason or that reason, whatever. It it's going to be like this this touch point, you know, much like the birth of Franklin or um, the wedding of Sue and Reed, where it's this touch point where you can go back and you can pull things out of it later and reference it and, you know, build upon it. It's, it's very foundational. So uh, I thought it was fantastic. I know some people haven't been enjoying the Dan slot uh, fantastic Four run for me. It's been a little bit inconsistent, certainly nowhere close to the level of inconsistency we've got from Nick Spencer, but some of the issues of fantastic Four the Dan slot writes, I really, really love like, like this issue and like the entire bride of doom uh, storyline, but other issues, I'm just like, yeah, it was okay. It was fantastic Four story. It's fine. Um, so his, I feel like Dan slot stuff goes from good to great. Um, but it rarely dips below good as opposed to, to Nick Spencer. But anyway, I, I thought this was great. I thought it was really fun. Um, the art's fantastic from RB Silva really bright colors, a lot of explosions and lightning and flame and whatnot that uh, Jesus Arbatov gets to color and, and have, have it leap off the page. So yeah, really, really good. Uh, all right. Next book I'm going to mention is another Aftershock title. Uh, and I've talked about every issue of, of the series so far, and it hasn't let me down. It's Shadow Doctor number five from writer Peter Calloway. The art is by Georges Jante. Colors are by <coughs> excuse me. Colors are by Wancho, and letters and logo design are by Charles Pritchett. So uh, it's based on a true story about Peter Calloway's grandfather, who, uh, according to the little note that uh, Peter Calloway leaves us at the end of the book here, his grandfather actually died before he was born. He never got a chance to meet him, but the life that his grandfather led very much um, is the stuff of legends. He, he was basically sort of a, a personal physician for Al Capone and Al Capone's men in the, in the 1920s in thirties uh, in, in Chicago. And it's been basically about how this African-American doctor was sort of forced into that um, by, by lack of opportunity. Now he fell in with Al Capone and um, it's been a very personal story uh, the whole time. And the fact that it is based on a true story only makes it that much more sort of compelling in a way, because the events that happen in here, are just like, no way it, it does feel very fictional, but you know, the saying life is stranger than fiction. Um, so the way that it, the series ends, some people might look at it and say, 
well, that's right where the story might get interesting or, or why would you end it there? Like what's next? But I, I think that that is, I think it ends perfectly personally because it ends right at the point where if it were a fictional story, it would, it would indeed get interesting and have all kinds of plot twists and whatnot. But the fact that it's based on real life, the point where it ends, that's probably where the story actually starts to get sort of boring. Um, And I feel like it's not the point of the story at all of where it ends. The point isn't to uh, tell the story of Al Capone or, um, or sort of explore crime or, or, you know, gangsters or, you know, it's not, this is not the untouchables. The point of the story is to tell the, the personal story of Peter Calloway's grandfather and his feelings, uh, his feelings of being trapped, his feelings of helplessness, his feelings of wanting to, to be something more, but just not having the opportunity. And the way this all plays out in the last issue, it's the period on the end of the sentence of the story we've gotten all along. Um, it, the way that it ends and what, and the choice that, uh, that Peter Calloway's grandfather makes, uh, Nathaniel is his name. Um, it illustrates what kind of man he, he is or was, um, you know, despite being back into a corner, despite maybe making a poor choice to, you know, not run away from Al Capone in the beginning. I mean, I, I don't think I would have had the guts to run away from Al Capone. He was God back then, basically in Chicago. Um, so, you know, Nathaniel was really, uh, between a rock and a hard place. And so I, I really do feel like this entire story has been sort of a, a love letter from Peter Calloway to his grandfather, you know, obviously a very personal story um, and, and a way to say, even though I never met you, grandpa, I understand why you made the choices that you made. And I, you know, I respect you and, uh, I just think it's a really powerful and moving story. And it, I thought it ended absolutely perfectly. So uh, I hope a lot of people pick it up and trade. I, I haven't heard a lot of people. This is another one of those aftershock books. I haven't heard a lot of people talking about, but every single person I have heard talk about it has talked about how great it is. And the people that have read it have universally loved it. So uh, it's just, it's just fantastic. So good. Um, I wasn't sure how it was all going to wrap up. Uh, I wasn't expecting the ending that we got, but I, I loved it. I thought it was so perfect. Uh, and the art by George Jante, uh, perfect. This is the, the perfect story. This is probably my favorite George Jante um, art I've ever seen. You know, I've seen some of his stuff on superhero stuff, and it's it's not it's not terrible. I mean, he's a very talented artist. He's a good storyteller, but these are the kind of stories that he should be telling, uh, that he should be illustrating especially uh, if he wants to do like gangster era stuff because he, he nails it. He nails it. And the, and the colors nail it as well. The colors very much suit the mood and the drama of the story. Uh, but the line work from George Jante, the, the emotion in the faces, um, the, you know, the period uh, clothing and whatnot. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. There's a particularly a page where uh, George sort of sums up, the feelings of Nathaniel uh, on this one page, this montage. Um, 
that even kind of harkens back to some of the events that happened um, earlier in the series that blew me away. It was so good. So anyway, it's another one of those instances of an Aftershock book that just is so, so good. High, highest recommendation. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Every Every issue of Shadow Doctor was just fantastic. So check it out if you are so inclined. Uh, all right. Last book Jay's going to talk about is Felicia Hardy, Black Cat, written by Jed McKay. The art in this issue is by C.F. Villa or Via. Uh, colors are by Brian Raybear. Letters by Farron Delgado. Uh, on the cover, it says Infinity Score Part 1. So does this tie in at all with the um, with the uh, annuals that have been going on? That's what I was gonna. That's what I was thinking too. So I'm, I'm sure it does in some way. Okay. But we're gonna call them stones or gems. What, what do you prefer? <laughs> call them what you call them. Call them what, I I prefer gems. I mean, she's wearing the Infinity Gauntlet on the cover, so we're not right. in any way. Um, I prefer gems, but you, you call them you call them what you like. <laughs> so from the last issue, we know that. Uh, well, the previous issues, we know that. Uh, you know, Felicia saved uh, New York. <clears throat> she gave up uh, Black Fox, so he's gone out of the picture now. So it's pretty much uh, her against the, uh, I guess, the Thieves of Guild. And um, she gets the opportunity to uh, get hired to go after, you know, one of their um, um, uh, vaults to get, you know, a prize. <clears throat> so she uses her team to uh, to do this. Uh, we get a cameo appearance from uh, someone from S.H.I.E.L.D. who was trying to stop her. Um it's actually pretty good action pack. I liked it. Uh, the artwork is clean. Um, I like the colors. The ending is, uh, I guess, I guess uh, I, as being, if you read the annuals, you already know what to kind of expect, you know, what to be. But I guess uh, we know that the gems are stones now are actually people. So, you know, that's no spoiler there. But uh, it's like, I don't know what's, what's going to happen after this. I'm kind of curious. But it's one of the few titles from Marvel, because like you were saying, years ago, I used to always look forward to getting an amazing Spider-Man. Not so much now, but on my top list from um, Marvel, it's always been Black Hat, Black Widow, uh, Daredevil, and some of the X-Men titles. But Spidey used to be up there, but not anymore. I'm sorry, sad to say. But this is a good book. Uh, it's a good jumping on point, I think, for uh, for a lot of people. If you you know want to start reading Felicia, it's a good, a good point to jump on. Yeah, I probably should be reading it. I mean, the Black Cat Annual was one of the um, was one of the annuals that the story plays out in. Unfortunately, I I didn't get a hard copy because they introduced this. New, it wasn't even any new characters. I don't think it was this new team of. It was the first time that the, some international characters. Like Korean characters had teamed up, Tiger Claw and whatnot. And so all the speculators like swooped them up because it wasn't a, a title that was ordered real heavily. So it just bugs me that I I, I want to have – I was just buying it because I was buying all the inf, uh, Infinite Destiny um, annuals. And there's like a – there's a, like an interlocking cover. If you get all the annuals, you put them together, it makes one big cover. I'm missing the Black Cat one. And it's going. It's like nobody, no, you're you, you people are buying it up, and you're not even reading it. That's that's <laughs> a waste. The, yeah, it just bugs the crap out of me. But anyway, my point that I was getting to is that Jed McKay is kind of the showrunner of that Infinite Destinies event, and he's the one that writes Black Cat. And then I saw that, um, you know, Infinite Heist or whatever it said on the cover, 
infinite infinity score um, on the cover. And I was like, Oh, that's Jed McKay and it's infinity score. Maybe I should be reading that. Um, I'm just, I'm not a big fan of black cat. I never have been. Um, and I think it was because when she came on the scene in amazing Spider-Man, that was at the time where it was kind of like a love triangle between a black cat and Peter Parker and Mary Jane. And I always wanted Peter to be with Mary Jane. And so I didn't really care for black cat that much. Um, so I haven't been reading, um, the black cat series at all. And Jed McKay for me, he's, uh, he's normally pretty solid. Uh, there's a few things I've read by him that I haven't cared for that much, but for the most part, he's pretty solid. So I don't know, maybe I do need to pick this up. Um, but I'm definitely going to read this infinity score uh, because like, like you said, it, it appears to tie in. I mean, I flipped through it. I saw that last page, what you were talking about. Um, I'm like, okay, yeah, probably does tie in to the infinite destinies. So I probably should pick it up. Uh, all right. On to my next book. It's United States of Captain America. Number two, it's from writer Christopher Cantwell. The art is by Dale Eaglesham. Uh, there's a backup that has art by Matt Milla. The letters in both stories, or I'm sorry, there's a backup that's written by Mohel Mashigo, and the art is by Natasha Bustos. And then Matt Milla does the colors for both stories, and Joe Caramagna does the letters for both. Um, the first thing I'll say about the art, so I'm used to like the Dale Eaglesham art, like in Shazam, where it's like super detailed and he's like channeling Gary Frank. Um, and this is not that kind of art at all. And it's so weird because there are glimpses of the, the super detailed art with a really great rendering here or there, but there's other times where I don't know, it doesn't, the backgrounds are kind of light and it feels like if he's not putting a bunch of detail in his art, then things, they just, they look a little stiff and the, the proportions don't always look like they're the best. So I just thought the art was in the main story was just okay. Uh, but the story itself is, is fantastic. The story that Christopher Cantwell is telling, it's so relevant. And there were some real stupid people when issue one came out saying that Captain, saying that in the first issue, Captain America said he hated America. And it was so clear that people were going on Fox news Dean Kane, who's a disgrace that, that he ever played Superman, uh, was went on Fox News and was complaining about it, saying how bad of a comic. You didn't read it, Dean Kane, because if you read it, you would know that, that Captain America never said what people were saying that he said, that Captain America was saying that he hates the American dream. And no, that's not what he said at all. And if anybody has read Captain America over the years, you'll know at various times. I think issue 276 when he became nomad. And then again, in, in issue what 332 when he quit being Captain America at various times, Steve Rogers has quit being Captain America, not because he hates America, not because he hates freedom, but because he loves America and because he loves freedom and he's being dictated to by the people in charge, by the politics of the, the country rather than the ideals and so it's no wonder that these people that are complaining about the series, the United States of Captain America, are people that don't, they, they say they love America and they say that they want freedom, but they want freedom on their terms. They want freedom for themselves. They want power for themselves. They don't truly want equality. And more than anything else, that's what Captain America stands for. He stands for equality for everybody. You know, all men created equal. 
That is the overriding belief of Steven Rogers. And so that's what this series is all about. And that's why I'm, I'm absolutely loving it. It is so fantastic. And uh, it's basically a road trip story. Uh, It's Steve Rogers and Sam Wilson, who I've never been a big fan of Sam Wilson, um, but I like the way Christopher Cantwell writes the uh, relationship between Cap and and uh, and Sam Wilson. They they have banter. They give each other a bad time. If they feel like they truly are friends, rather than um, you know speaking all serious all the time and not ever cracking any jokes or one being deferential to the other. I mean, you used to think it would always be Sam Wilson being deferential to Cap, um, but maybe it would go the other way with everything Sam Wilson's been through lately. But no, this is a this is two buddies. Um, that clearly know each other well and can tease each other and give each other a hard time. And so it comes across as very, um, very realistic in my mind. And then the, the overall story is so in the first issue cap was, he was about to loan his shield out to this museum uh, when it got stolen by this guy that can run really fast, apparently. Um, and so he's uh, on this road trip with Falcon number one, to try to find his shield. And number two, while they were out there, when they just started out trying to find the shield, they ran into uh, a guy named Aaron Fisher, who was basically dressed in a version of the Captain America costume. Um, and he was out there uh, calling himself Captain America and doing what he could to help like his little corner of the world. Uh, people that were homeless, people that, you know, rode trains and, and you know, lived that sort of um, nomadic lifestyle. Um, and through meeting Aaron Fisher and seeing his heroism and learning about this network of Captain America's, um, Aaron Fisher, there's an attempted assassination and that also adds to it. So through all that stuff, uh, Captain America and Falcon realize that they need to get out there on the road also to, to meet up with some of these other Captain Americas and find out why they're being targeted. Um, because not only is there that Captain America clone looking guy that has the super speed that stole the shield. He's apparently teamed up with this other woman, um, some sort of assassin um, who is, is also out to take out these Captain America. Well, this is another thing I love about Christopher Cantwell. He doesn't subscribe to the theory that, okay, there's a mystery with who these people are in the first issue. Let's drag that mystery out as long as we can for the sake of making people come back like a certain company's doing with a certain character, Red X. Wait, did I say that out loud? Anyway, we find out in this issue who the, who the super speed Captain America is, who this woman uh, that he's teamed up is. The mystery doesn't get dragged out, and it's not going to harm the story. It's still going to be a great story from Christopher Cantwell with you know great characterization and great interactions between uh, Steve Rogers and Sam Wilson. And we do get to meet another Captain America this time, this time a, a female one uh, who's sort of uh, doing what she can in her own hometown. She's not like Aaron Fisher, who's moving around the country. Um, she's just doing what she can in her little corner of the world to protect those that she feels have no, have no voice. So that feels very Captain America-like to me uh, as well. And then just like uh, in the first issue where we got the backup story that told the origin of Aaron Fisher, in this one, the backup story tells the uh, origin of Nichelle Wright, and she's the the Captain America, the female person of color, uh, Captain America uh, in Pennsylvania, who 
Sam and uh, Steve meet in the, in the main story. So uh, the Natasha Bustos art, I'm, I'm not a big fan of uh, Natasha Bustos style. Uh, it's just really thick lines uh, for me. So uh, it's not a very dynamic art, um, but she's a great storyteller and it, it's, it, it's an emotional uh, origin story for, um, for this, uh, this woman, uh, Nichelle. Um, and I, I say origin story, it's sort of, there's a flashback that explains who she is. Um, but it, so in that way, it's sort of an origin story, but it's sort of a continuation of, okay, after the events of the main story, what happens to her? So it, it serves as sort of a dual purpose. All right. Now on to the last book that I'm going to talk about. And, uh, this one's absolutely fantastic. Um, I would go so far as to say it's my book of the week. Um, cause it, and, and a lot of that has to do with the artwork and that will go to show you just how amazing the artwork is. You know, normally I'm all about giving a book of the week based on, uh, how great the story is this time. The story is fantastic and the dialogue is, is a lot of fun. Uh, but the artwork just blew me away. And it's the same artist as issue one. And I thought the art in issue one was strong, but the art here was just next level. It was so good. I, I so good that I, I found myself going back just to, you know, look at previous pages before I even finished reading the story. Cause it was so good. It's like, wait, I, I get to page four and the art's so good. It pulls me out of the story a little bit. And I'm like, how did it not, if the art is this good, how did it not pull me out of the story before? I was so focused on reading the words. I flipped back a few pages and I'm like, yeah, I'm surprised it didn't pull me out sooner. Anyway, I guess I'm building my own mystery here, uh, not telling you the, the title of the book. It's an Aftershock title. It's Seven Swords. It's uh, issue number two. It's called A Fine Collection of Swords. The writer's Evan Doherty. Uh, Ricardo Latina is the artist. Valentina Bianconi does the colors and Dave Sharp does the letters. So if you remember, I talked about the first issue, which was also very, very good. And this is sort of a modern uh, or not a modern, but um, a sequel to the three musketeers in a lot of ways, all the musketeers are dead except for D'Artagnan and Cardinal Richelieu, the, the, you know, big bad of the, of the three musketeers stories. Uh, he's still around, still doing evil things. D'Artagnan still wants revenge on him. And, you know, Cardinal Richelieu being who he is has, has of course offended plenty of other people and made plenty of other enemies over the years. So the idea of this, these seven swords, D'Artagnan's going around and he's recruiting other uh, historical figures who you may not have realized were also expert swordsmen because they really weren't, but in this story they are. And it's, it's fantastic and it's great. Um, it's great to see Cyrano de Bergerac, you know, as a master swordsman and D'Artagnan goes and recruits him. Uh, it's great to see Don Juan be recruited uh, as a, as a master swordsman. So yeah, I mean, this book, I'm not even a big fan of the, of the, um, the three musketeers, but this story is just so good. The art, like I said, is far and away best art of the week. Like it is so amazing, beautiful, fine line work, um, great action scenes, good uh, characterization in the faces, 
uh, wonderful uh, character acting with the, the body language. Uh, it, it's just fantastic. And then the actual conversations, you know, they don't speak in any sort of old English or, I mean, technically, I guess they should be speaking French uh, if it's the three musketeers, but it's, it's sort of a modern vocabulary, but there's enough, especially when Cyrano de Bergerac, who was known to, you know, having like a golden tongue. Um, but there's enough there uh, in the vocabulary to make it feel like a, a period piece and make it feel, um, you know, to, to kind of set it in a, in a time where things were a little more proper, I guess you'd say. So uh, I, I just love this book. Um, you know, first couple issues, it's, it's uh, D'Artagnan getting his mission and going around and recruiting um, some of the seven uh, swordsmen. And uh, I imagine issue three will probably be more of the same. Uh, at, by the end of this issue, we've got four of the seven. So it wouldn't surprise me if by the end of the next issue, we have all seven, and then we get a couple of issues of them uh, going after the Cardinal. Um, but it's just fantastic. Like it, the feel of it, it, it feels swashbuckling like a three Musketeers story should. And like I said, the art is just amazing. Uh, some of the best art comic art I've seen in a long time. Uh, and I, I got to give a lot of credit to the color artist as well. Uh, Valentina being Coney because she does everything perfectly to really let the line work of uh, Ricardo Latina shine. So uh, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, did you read either of the issues of, of this, Jay? Yeah, I've, <clears throat> I did read the first issue. I haven't got to the second one, but yeah, the artwork is good and I like the story. And when I was younger, I used to watch a lot of Westerns with my grandfather and a lot of uh, swashbuckling things like this and on TV with him. So it kind of reminds me of that. And I, I do appreciate it. And the artwork is uh, very detailed. Yeah, it's uh, it's fantastic. So, sometimes he's a little light on the backgrounds, like if I had to, to nitpick something. But um, he puts so much detail in other scenes uh, and in, in the foreground that, you know, I can't blame him. <laughs> I can't. I mean, I'm sure at some point he run, just kind of runs out of time to. to oh, I'm sure. But after I never. Horses, down. There's horses in this issue. And yeah, <laughs> comic artists famously despise drawing horses horses are hard to draw uh he does an excellent job so uh all right well let me give a rundown on some of the other books that are coming out this week that you might want to be on the lookout for when you hit your comic shop uh keep in mind we did talk about all the other dc book or all the dc books uh in the two-part spotlight yesterday like i mentioned um but uh there's also one other aftershock book that's out today girls of dimension 13 number four uh, is out. That's uh, Graham Nolan and and Brett Blevins. If you're uh, if you're curious about that one, uh, from AWA we have Chariot Number Five. I think that's the final issue. That's written by um, Brian Edward Hill. We also have Resistance Uprising, which is the Mike Diodato and um, James Straczynski book. Uh, issue number four of Berserker. Matt Kent and Keanu Reeves book over at Boom Studios. We have a new Dune series starting up. It doesn't say that it's a mini, but I think it is. Uh, anyway, it's Dune, Blood of the Sardaukar. So uh, issue one is out, and I know a lot of people are very much anticipating that movie. Recent trailer dropped, and people got pretty excited. Uh, Something is Killing the Children, which continues to be a runaway hit for James Tynan, uh, has issue 
18. I can't believe that book's up to 18 issues already. Uh, issue 18 of Something is Killing Children's Out. Uh, if you listen to our DC Spotlights, the books we covered, Action Comics, number 1033, Batman Reptilian, number two, Batman Secret Files, Huntress, number one, which was a one-shot, uh, Batman Superman, number 20, Checkmate, number two of six from uh, Brian Michael Bendis, uh, Detective Comics, number 1040, uh, Harley Quinn, number five, Icon and Rocket, season one, number one of six, uh, Infinite Frontier miniseries from Joshua Williamson with a host of talented artists is up to number three of six, so halfway done there. Mr. Miracle, The Source of Freedom, number three of six, which has so impressed me. That that book has been so good. Uh, another really great book, uh, probably my book of the week for DC, would be The Other History of the DC Universe, number five of five which is about Anissa Pierce. Uh, and I just find it interesting that John Ridley, when he wrote The Other History of the DC Universe, the first issue is all about uh, Jefferson Pierce. And then the final issue is all about his daughter, uh, Anissa Pierce. And the Pierce family, with everything they've been through, everything they've sacrificed, all the, the trauma and battles they've been through, I feel like their family and, and their history, it is the other history of the DC Universe. It's, it so epitomizes sort of the background of the minority heroes of the DC universe and the things that they've had to deal with. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious if Ridley did that on purpose or not. I feel like he must have, uh, but anyway, it's, it's fantastic. I highly recommend it. Uh, Robin number four is also out uh, this week. Static shock season one, number two of six strange adventures, number 11, which was insane uh, and really blew my previous theory out of the water. Uh, Superman, Son of Kal-El, number one, which is John Kent taking over the mantle of Superman on Earth from his father, written by Tom Taylor. Uh, Titans Academy, Teen Titans Academy, number five, from Tim Sheridan. Uh, Wonder Woman, number 776. And then also Wonder Woman, Black and Gold, number two of six. So a lot of books. Like I said, DC had 18 books out this week. It was uh, an insane amount. <laughs> I hope they don't do that again for uh, a long, long time. Uh, over at Image, in addition to the books that we talked uh, about, Mirka Aldofo's Sweet Paprika is debuting with a number one. Uh, Old Guard, Tales Through Time from Greg Rucka, uh, number four of six of that miniseries is out. Skybound X number four, uh, which is the weekly Skybound event series that's going on right now, uh, is out. Spawn number 320 from Todd McFarlane. And uh, Ultra Mega by James Heron, number three, also hit, hitting stands. Uh, over at Marvel, in addition to the books we talked about, we have Beta Ray Bill, number five of five. We have Cable, number 12, from uh, Dugan and Phil Noto. Uh, Eternals, number six. We've got Sword, number seven. A Mighty Valkyries, number four of five. Shang-Chi, number three. Star Wars, number 15. Symbiote, Spider-Man, Crossroads, number one of five. Uh, Wolverine, number 14, is also out finishing up Marvel. And then uh, I think there was something from Vault that I wanted to mention. Oh, yeah. Uh, Barbaric, number two, from Michael Morisi is out, as well as a second printing for Barbaric, number one. Uh, very much uh, Conan-inspired sort of story that uh, i highly recommend also from vault this week blue flame number three from christopher cantwell who you know I, I pretty much talk about every christopher cantwell book that comes out because 
it's worth it. The <laughs> guy is such a fantastic storyteller. So I'm loving what he's doing in Iron Man. I'm loving what he's doing in the United States of Captain America. And the first two issues of Blue Flame have been fantastic as well. So I do recommend those. Uh, from Valiant, I'll mention Shadow Man number four is also out today. And I, I think that does it. Is there anything that you wanted to call out that I missed, Jay? You're talking about uh, Vault Comics. I was looking forward to the the last book you'll ever read. Uh, it's by uh, Cullen Bunn and uh, Leah Louise. It's a, I guess it's about a girl that writes a book that if you read it, it makes you uh, insane and you just do bloodshed and violence. That definitely sounds like a Cullen Bunn book for sure. Oh, yeah. And it's just interesting because she hires a bodyguard, but in order for him to be the bodyguard, he can't read the book because she wants to be protected, I guess. So it's just interesting. And I just thought, well, you know what? I'm going to check that out. And then uh, Coffin Comics, you got Lady Death and they always do like uh, two uh, mini series. And I do like that character a lot. So I'm just glad they kind of you know pace it that way. Yeah, I feel like Vault and Scout are both uh, companies you need to pay attention to. Every once in a while, they come out with something. Or for Vault, more often than every once in a while, um, for sure. So, uh, anyway, that's going to do it for. Oh, I was going to say, ahead. Daredevil was my book of the week. I'm sorry. Daredevil oh, was yeah. definitely my sorry. book of the week. <laughs> sorry, I forgot to ask. You. Yeah, that ending, that ending of Daredevil. Yeah, it's, it got me. It's like, I need to know oh, what's going on. Yeah, it was brutally, brutally good. So, uh, anyway, that's going to do it, everybody. Thanks for joining us. As always, we really appreciate the support, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Do a search for the comic source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.